Welcome back to the Homestyle MMA Podcast. This is Sean Van Buren here for episode 14. Today we are reviewing the PFL featherweight and women's lightweight semifinal playoffs and UFC 278 Usman versus Edwards 2. Now we're playing around with the new microphone today, guys. I've probably spent about an hour messing with the settings trying to figure out how to get it the best way that I like it. Still don't know if I 100% love the sound just yet, but I do want to ride it out for this whole podcast episode. I hope that it offers an enhanced listening experience for the listeners, or at least no downgrade. And if it does seem to become a problem, I will go back to the old microphone. This mic does offer me a little bit more time savings on the editing side post-recording. So I want to give it a shot. Let's do it for a whole episode, see how we feel about it, and then we'll make a decision after that. But for this upcoming weekend, the PFL and UFC are off. So this will be an old-school recap-style episode. One thing I want to point out from last weekend is the UFC took place in Salt Lake City, Utah, and you could really tell that it was tough on fighters. But what's tough is that Salt Lake City is a very high elevation city in the United States. Many people had nothing left in the tank by the end of their fights. There was plenty of chaos, plenty of oddness in the fights out of the UFC fight card, and the PFL delivered some statement victories as well. Let's go ahead, dive into the PFL matchups from this last weekend. We will follow it up with UFC 278. Let's go take a look. With no PFL playoff action next weekend, we're going to briefly discuss the fights on the main card that were not playoff fights for this year, as well as the PFL playoff semifinal matchups. So that starts us off with Simeon Powell versus Jao Paulo Fagundes. Simeon Powell looked phenomenal. He had great striking, wrestling, and most importantly in this fight were his kicks. He landed kicks up high, but the low kicks were super hard, very frequent, and they did severe damage. In round two, he knocked down Fagundes with a low leg kick and his legs were completely compromised. Fagundes clearly had trouble standing, but Simeon Powell welcomed him back to his feet and rocked Fagundes with another low calf kick. Fagundes lost by TKO because he literally could not stand on his leg anymore. He got that calf kicked so much he could not even hold his body up anymore. Simeon Powell fought excellently behind his length advantages, wrestled efficiently when the fight got in tight, and then punished leg kicks from distance. Very impressive win for smooth Simeon Powell, and he's a name to keep an eye on in the PFL going forward. Next up in the PFL was Dakota Decheva versus Hasna Jabber. Dakota had an 11-inch arm reach advantage. That is absolutely insane. You never see reach advantages that dramatic. But what really made this fight interesting was it wasn't her arm reach advantage that really made the difference in this one. It was her Muay Thai clinch knees that made the difference. Hasna Jabber was throwing super hard and long punches, but Dakota front kicked her to the ground, clinched her against the fence as she got up, and finished her with hard clinched knees to the body for a first round knockout. Hazna Jabber was waving at the ref saying, please, I'm done. Help me out. Get this chick off me. It was a very impressive win. Dakota Decheva was precise with her striking and every shot was fast, perfectly placed in this one minute victory. Fast day of work for Dakota Decheva. Speaking of fast work days, that takes us to our first PFL semifinals playoff matchup with Ryoji Kudo versus Bubba Jenkins. Wow. I mean, wow, what a start to this fight. Bubba Jenkins hit Kudo with back-to-back suplexes, which was just sick. I mean, that's an awesome thing. You don't see it very often in MMA. It was pretty clear 
that Bubba Jenkins knew his wrestling would win him this fight if he kept that strategy. That's exactly what I told you last week on episode 13. I said Bubba Jenkins wrestling would just be too much for Ryoji Kudo to handle. Bubba Jenkins eventually got the back of Ryoji Kudo on the feet, locked in the rear naked choke, and got a very fast first round submission victory. I said last week that I thought Kudo's only chance to win this one was on the feet with his power, but Bubba Jenkins removed that element from this fight by ragdolling Kudo around the cage with his wrestling until he got the back and finished the fight. Last week I did say that I didn't think Bubba Jenkins' jujitsu would be strong enough for submission in this one, so I was very impressed to see him get that rear naked choke victory. His last rear naked choke submission win, or actually any submission win rather, came in 2012. So it's been a decade since his last submission win, but he got it done in this one. Very impressive win for Jenkins. He proved his nickname to be true as Bubba Badman Jenkins, and he should be very excited to fight in this featherweight championship for the PFL. That led us to Larissa Pacheco versus Elena Kolesnik. What did I say last week? I mean, honestly, what did I say, everybody? First off, you don't fight people with neck tattoos, and you don't mess with people with neck tattoos. They're a different breed of human, and Larissa Pacheco showed that on Saturday, just like I said she would. Elena had nice lateral movement early, but it doesn't matter when Larissa Pacheco is hunting you. She was hunting for her third first-round knockout this year, 2022 calendar year. We're only in August right now. I love this chick. She's a beast. She should take the nickname The Predator because that is how she fights. She's always looking to finish her opponents. That's why this was a homestyle gravy bet. It's why we went back for more by doubling up Pacheco by knockout for plus money two units. I told you last week that Larissa Pacheco would come out aggressive like a bull released from the pen and get another first round knockout. I hope you all made money with me in that one. She is finishing ability that is almost unheard of in MMA. But a former competitor of hers has that same ability right here in the PFL with Kayla Harrison. Larissa Pacheco has been getting it done lately with her hands, but make sure you don't sleep on her submission capabilities either in the Women's Lightweight Championship fight. That is going to be a phenomenal fight. Chris Wade versus Brendan Lofnane. I love both of these guys. They both supported the podcast on Instagram, and they're very nice fighters in general. Just not to each other. Honestly, they had a lot of aggression, a lot of smack talk in the lead up to this one. It really built up the fight nicely for the fans. They do not like each other. I think they still don't. Uh, but both fighters had some explosive movements in round one, and you knew that we were in for a battle. Brendan Lofnane looked sharp on the feet. Chris Wade did a good job wrestling early, super close first round, but I did give it to Brendan Lofnane. Wade was just eating jabs in round two. Honestly, his head just seemed like it was always available for Brendan Lofnane. Every time he threw that jab, it was connecting. I think Chris Wade just wasn't seeing them coming. Chris Wade didn't do enough lateral head movement. When a strike would come his way, he kept moving his head straight back, and Brendan Lofnane's jab was still reaching its mark because he was shooting his punches through the face of Chris Wade. So when Chris Wade would just go backwards with his head, his fist was still there ready to catch him. It was all Lofnane in round two, and Wade needed to finish in round three on my scorecards. He feigned a few takedowns in round three, and it slowed down Brendan Lofnane just a bit until he landed a massive strike. Chris Wade took some huge shots in this one. Lofnane landed so many strikes in this fight. Great three-round war and a great victory for Brendan Lofnane. 
He looked very sharp. He really couldn't miss in this fight and landed around 57% of his strikes, which was about 10% better than his opponent, including putting out more volume. I really thought that Brendan Lofnane would use more offensive wrestling in this one, but I think he had Chris Wade so confused on the feet with his striking that he just honestly didn't feel it to be necessary. These are two excellent fighters, and Brendan Lofnane punched his ticket for a chance at $1 million in the finals. RPFL night ended with Kayla Harrison versus Martina Jindrova, and the queen is back. Kayla Harrison, such an exciting fighter. Jindrova started off with excellent movement to start the fight, jumping in, out, left, right. It didn't matter. Kayla caught a leg kick. The fight hit the mats. Super not good for kickboxing specialist Martina Jindrova, but super not good for anybody. You do not want to be on the ground with Kayla Harrison. She is a tactician on the ground, and she methodically went between positions, worked her way to full mount, and she did go for some ground and pound. Martina just looked like she was just trying to survive. You cannot survive on the ground with Kayla Harrison on top of you. She got the arm triangle in the first round submission victory. Absolute domination from Kayla Harrison, which is what we've come to expect. After going 20 for 20 in the regular season with takedowns, Kayla Harrison showed once again that there may not be any woman on the planet in MMA who can hang with her wrestling. She has that killer instinct once she gets you down, and she works for the finish every time. Kayla Harrison seems to be guaranteed a shot at a million dollars every season with how dominant she is, and we will see if she can do it for a third time. I told you last week that I could very clearly see three out of the four PFL fights heading into last weekend. The three that I was confident in played out just how we thought they would, just how I told you they would, and Brandon Lofnane won as the underdog and the one fight that made me nervous to pick a side. We predicted that Chris Wade would be the 2022 featherweight champion prior to the semifinal fights last weekend. Obviously, with these results, with the finals matchup being Bubba Jenkins versus Brendan Lofnane, I am leaning Brendan Lofnane currently, but I really need to dive more into that matchup to get a stronger opinion. I will be doing that in December before this matchup on the podcast. We're standing by our previous prediction that Larissa Pacheco will be the women's lightweight champion, as I said in episode 13. I think Larissa Pacheco wins in a stunning upset and revenge win for Pacheco and a first loss for Kayla Harrison. This is not meant at all to be offensive to Kayla Harrison. I think she is an outstanding MMA fighter. And I think the adversity would make her that much more dangerous in the long run. I think Kayla Harrison gets her first true rival and threat this year in the championships. Great PFL card. Great Saturday. I mean, with the PFL system, these were such high stakes fights. You could feel the tension in every moment. That wraps up our PFL review, though. Let's go ahead and take a look at the UFC early pre The UFC early prelims started off with Daniel Da Silva versus Victor Altamirano. And boom, we were off. Daniel Da Silva dropped Altamirano in round one, and these guys started scrapping right away. Altamirano looked a bit faster in round one, but Da Silva had heavier damage strikes. It seemed like the fight was going all Daniel Da Silva's way. And then out of nowhere, Altamirano completely flipped the script and dropped to De Silva late in round one. They started grappling aggressively. Altamirano ends up on top, landed super heavy elbow ground and pound strikes once he got there, and De Silva was bloodied up. 
Victor Altamirano probably landed 20 elbows and eventually ended it with strikes by knockout in round one. Great comeback after getting knocked down early in this one, battling through the early adversity and earning himself a finishing win. With three UFC losses in a row, this may have been the end of Daniel Da Silva's run in the UFC for now. We'll have to see what comes out of that result for him. Iroki Lang versus Jay Perrin. Iroki Lang's defense was very interesting to watch because what he would do is he would just barely slide back out of the way of shots and then he'd slip right back into distance. It's a very high risk, high reward way of slipping shots because you have to make sure you get far enough back from the oncoming strikes before you close the distance again. It does allow him to very quickly launch counter strikes and he landed a massive left hook in the first round, followed it with a flying knee. He looked very sharp in round one. Jay Perrin got a, a late round takedown, and I don't think it was enough to win the round, but it did build his confidence as Perrin got a takedown early again in round two. Wasn't able to do much with the position, and Roki Lang got the fight back to the feet where he landed a heavy counter right hand. I gave round two also to Roki Lang, but it was closer than round one. One thing that Roki Lang did very well in this fight was striking from different angles. He threw jabs, hooks, uppercuts, overhands. He used it all and landed most of it. I think Jay Perrin won round three, but it was too late on my card, and the judges seemed to agree with three 29-28 Iroki Lang unanimous decision victory scorecards. Amir Albazi versus Francisco Figueiredo. I thought this was a pretty underrated fight for an early prelim fight. Francisco used a lot of kicks early in this one, but Albazi tripped him up. Jumped on top with three and a half minutes left in the first round. Albazi stayed extremely tight to Francisco. You can tell he is very comfortable in jiu-jitsu situations. He selectively landed his ground and pound to the head and to the body while making sure that he kept control. He kept control for as long as he could, but Francisco did work his way back up after about one and a half minutes on the bottom. But then Albazi got a second takedown late in round one, almost right away strategically worked his way to the back and got the rear naked choke submission win late in round one. Francisco Figueredo, very skilled jiu-jitsu fighter, so the ease at which Amir Albazi was able to take him down, control him on the ground in various positions, was all very impressive. I told you last week that I was confident that we wouldn't need the judges in this fight, regardless of who won, and that someone was going to get submitted with the jiu-jitsu skill between these two fighters. Excellent win for Amir Albazi, and he should fight someone ranked around probably 6th in the flyweight division next. That takes us into the UFC prelims. We had a great start in the early prelims, and the UFC prelims kept that momentum going. The UFC prelims started off with a fight that was flexed to the prelims from the previous early prelim spot. We had AJ Fletcher versus Ange Lusa. These fighters were throwing with bad intentions. Ange Lusa looked absolutely massive for the welterweight division, but it seemed that AJ Fletcher had the speed advantage because of it. Ange Lusa had a lot of volume in round one that may have given him the round. He never threw just one shot. He was very tactical with his striking. It was always two, three, four strike combos. Ange Lusa kept looking good to start round two. But then AJ Fletcher unleashed all of his volume and landed shot after shot after shot on Lusa's chin. Absolutely laid into him against the cage. AJ Fletcher went for broke. He said, I'm going to finish this fight right now. Ange Lusa was stunned, but with two minutes of wild action, 
It left both men completely exhausted, and Angelusa survived the onslaught. Uh-oh for AJ Fletcher. I mean, he was hoping that he could end that fight right there during that flurry in round two. He risked his gas tank to try to get that finish, and he didn't get it. He did get the round, though. It was all evened up on the scorecards entering round three, which was absolutely wild to me. I was shocked that Angelus has survived the onslaught, but he was now the fresher fighter because AJ Fletcher left it all on the line to try to get that finish. These fighters were so tired that AJ Fletcher eventually threw a kick in round three and fell over. He straight up threw the kick, lost balance, and fell over. Angelusa threw some big elbows on top in round three, and Lusa won round three very easily. These guys left it all out there. It was a hard, grinding win for Angelusa. This was one of the first of many fights tonight in the UFC where you could really tell that that elevation in Salt Lake City burned out the fighters. It was a war of attrition, and Angelusa won that war. Unfortunately, the Miranda Maverick versus Shanna Young fight was canceled on weigh-in day. So close to that fight. We really wanted to see Miranda Maverick. She was part of our heavy bets for the weekend. She was part of our parlay. But the fight was canceled due to Shanna Young getting hospitalized after her weigh-in. So following the AJ Fletcher-Angelusa fight, we had Sean Woodson versus Luis Saldana. This was one of the strangest fights that I think I have ever seen. Luis Saldana pieced up Sean Woodson, dropped him twice in the first round, but on that second knockdown, he landed probably one of the most incredibly stupid shots I've ever seen. He walks up to Sean Woodson while he's a down fighter and need him right in the middle of his forehead, need him right in the head while Sean Woodson was a grounded opponent. Very easy call for the ref. He took a point from Luis Saldana, and Saldana lost a point in that round. He walked right up to Sean Woodson, kneed him in the head. It was one of the dumbest things that I have ever seen a fighter do in the octagon. I was shocked that the fight continued. Sean Woodson knocked down, then knocked down again and kneed in the head. That's just a lot of violence to the head early on in this fight. Sean Woodson was hurt so badly in round one twice and then took the illegal knee to the head. I have no idea what Luis Saldana was doing by not going for the finish after he dropped Woodson the first time or even just following up with punches the second time. Super weird 30 seconds in the first round. With the loss of the point, I had it 9-9, when Luis Saldana could have easily had a first round finish, in my opinion. Luis Saldana got a takedown in round two, but Sean Woodson started going for a few funky submissions, and he actually got Luis Saldana in a buggy choke, which is an extremely rare submission attempt. You have to be very long to pull it off, and the round ended with really no action from that position. But we gave round two to Sean Woodson because he at least did go for a deep submission attempt. Nothing that noteworthy happened in round three. It was just a super weird fight. We had a split decision draw after this fight. Honestly, my biggest takeaway was learning that Luis Saldana is missing an index finger on his right hand. I don't think we learned much of anything about either fighter in the end as far as their skill in the octagon. And it was all around just an extremely strange fight. Next up was Leonardo Santos versus Jared Gordon. Salt Lake City, Utah showed its elevation impact yet again in this one. It was a pretty even first round for these fighters. It stayed on the feet and both guys landed a few clean shots. Pretty slow fight in the first round until about one minute left with Leonardo Santos's back up against the cage. Jared Gordon unloaded some nice body shots and probably won the round because of it. Gordon had a tough time getting in tight with the significant length disadvantage, but when he did, he made sure to throw a lot of volume once he could work his way into those tie clinches. Jared Gordon worked the body extremely well throughout this fight, 
and they just took the will to engage out of Leonardo Santos. Gordon had an excellent game plan in this fight. Once he was able to get in range, he would rip the body of Leonardo Santos to wear down the 42-year-old fighter. Jared Gordon used his volume, his cardio, to bring the fight to Santos and get the win. Leonardo Santos looked absolutely exhausted late in round two and all of round three. The body shots mixed in with the elevation were just too much for him. But we bet Jared Gordon anyways because like I said last week, I just couldn't bet on a 42-year-old fighter to win with a nine-year age gap between these two fighters. Great fight for Jared Gordon. Fairly easy win for Jared Gordon. We'll see what comes next for him. The last fight to end the UFC prelims I was shocked to see was moved from the pay-per-view to the prelims. It was Marcin Tybura versus Alexander Romanov. Some Salt Lake City, Utah elevation impacts in this one as well. Romanov looked strong to start this fight and immediately got to wrestling. He had a massive power slam within the first minute of the fight. I am on the Romanov train. His wrestling, jiu-jitsu, striking makes him one of the most well-rounded MMA fighters in the heavyweight division currently. That's why we took Alexander Romanov by finish. He stuck to Tybura like glue in round one and mixed in some strikes. He landed super hard knees to the hamstrings of Tybura while clinched against the cage. Then he had another power slam takedown. He was showing his full game early on in this fight. Tybura was just trying to survive round one, but Alexander Romanov absolutely mauled him. By the end of round one, Tybura landed zero significant strikes. Zero. None. I had a 10-8 round easily to Alexander Romanov and what I felt like was a textbook definition score of what a 10-8 round should look like. Romanov had complete domination everywhere in that round. The heavyweights were a bit slower in round two, but Romanov stayed sharp and had a little bit more volume. Tybura got top control and stayed active after Romanov fell with a kick. Good round for Tybura. He won that round, I think, and I had it 19-18. Romanov winning heading into round three. But you could tell that Alexander Romanov was really starting to fatigue. The fact that he kind of fell over, ended up in bottom position in round two, and just kind of accepted that position was a pretty big indicator that Alexander Romanov was getting tired. Both heavyweights were tired in round three, but they still had knockout power. Both of these guys are extremely strong men. Romanov didn't have much left in the tank for round three, and Tybura won the last two rounds. I had it as another draw in this one. I was shocked to see this one go to the judges. I was even more shocked that Marcin Tybura got the win with only one out of the three judges, giving a 10-8 in the first round. What is, what is that? What does that mean? Tybura landed zero significant strikes in the first round, and he got 10-9? How does that make any sense? Absolutely terrible decision. It cost us big time on the podcast, brutal decision. A tie still would have screwed up our single and parlay bets. The elevation wore down Romanov, and Tybura showed that he just had a deeper gas tank after surviving a brutal onslaught in round one. My question to the judges, to the UFC, to anyone that will listen, what the heck was round one? What is a 10-8 if it wasn't round one of this fight? What is it? How do you get a 10-8? If you outstrike the guy, out wrestle the guy, out control the guy, and you have zero significant strikes worth of damage, how is that not a 10 8 for Alexander Romanov? I was more upset for him because he hadn't lost yet. This was the first loss of his career. Granted, a draw 
People say it's like kissing your sister. That's not great either. But how do you take away Alexander Romanov's O in a fight that I think was clearly a majority draw? Let's go ahead and take a look at the UFC main card in what ended up being an incredibly wild night. So the UFC main card, I mean, wow. Seriously, wow. If you watch the fights, you know what I'm talking about. We'll touch on that main event here in a moment. But let's go ahead and start off with the Tyson Pedro versus Harry Hunsucker fight to start the pay-per-view. This fight could not have been drawn up more as advertised. 22 of their 23 combined fights heading into this one had ended by finish. And, I mean, we saw that immediately in this fight. Tyson Pedro stunned Harry Hunsucker with a left jab early in round one as Harry was moving forward. So it was a really high impact shot. And then he followed it up with a front kick straight up the middle that dropped Hunsucker. Pedro jumped on him and finished the fight by knockout. Very clean, very efficient win for Tyson Pedro. He landed two big shots that ended the fight. That's the kind of power that both of these men hold, but Tyson Pedro brought it on this specific night. This fight was so fast and such a clean finish, there wasn't that much to say here. Two knockout wins in a row for Tyson Pedro, and Harry Hunsucker is unfortunately 0-3 in the UFC, with each loss by knockout. That may have been the last we see of Harry Hunsucker in the UFC for this stint. We'll have to see what they do with him moving forward. Next up was a decision that uh, really puzzled me that the UFC made. So Wu Yanan versus Lucy Pudilova was flexed up from the prelims to the pay-per-view. This fight essentially replaced the Tybura versus Romanov fight, and I thought that was a little bit of an odd move, and I think, generally speaking, after the fight, I still stand by that, even though the finishing sequence was very impressive. So let's talk about what happened. It was not a very exciting fight until the finish, like I said. Pudilova went for a takedown immediately, but didn't get it. Wu Yunan looked fast with her hands, threw a lot of low kicks early in this fight. Pudilova had a good entry. Turned the angle on the takedown, so she dove in for the takedown, made a nice tight turn on the angle to finish it, but the takedown came with no action. They were laying on the ground for quite some time, not much was happening, and Herb Dean almost stood them up. Wu Yunan snuck out the back, and they were back to their feet. Not much action in round one, I did give it to Pudilova with a close and fairly boring round, unfortunately, so it was a tough start to the pay-per-view, in my opinion. The Tyson-Pedro fight set this pay-per-view up for a ton of momentum, really exciting. And then we followed it up with a first round on the next fight where I was kind of like, uh-oh, this this is not going well. Little did I know, Pudilova had different plans for this fight. Pudilova, she does have a super wide stance when she fights. The commentators were talking about it as well. Yanan was throwing great low leg kicks, but she wasn't hitting Pudilova in the best spot on that front leg. The announcers mentioned it. She was kicking around the thigh when a few solid calf kicks would have probably really limited the movement of the wide stance to Pudilova. Unfortunately, Wu Yunan's coaches didn't see that, she didn't notice it in the fight, and Pudilova got a headlock takedown, took the back, worked her way for a rear naked choke, but she couldn't get it. Pudilova didn't care. She got on top, railed down incredibly violent elbows, and Herb Dean had to rip Pudilova off of Yunan to end the fight by knockout in the second round. She was raining down those elbows in a furious rage. It was a really impressive win 
for what was otherwise a fairly lackluster fight for a pay-per-view. But the finishing sequence was phenomenal. Lucy Pudelova was throwing those elbows with the worst of intentions. Four UFC losses in a row, unfortunately for Wu Yunan. That may be it for her in the UFC. That takes us into Jose Aldo versus Marab Devalishvili. This fight had all of the makings to be a potential fight of the night. We bet the fight to go the distance because I really did respect both of these fighters so much and I really just wanted to see a war. Marab looked extremely fast early, but Aldo was just very tentative to throw any strikes, so it was actually kind of tough to tell who had the speed advantage. I think Aldo was just way too worried about the takedowns through this entire fight, but in the first round, he did stop a takedown, and that must have been a nice confidence boost for him. Marab had some decently nice strikes, Aldo had nice kicks, super close first round, but Marab probably edged it out with more volume. So far, it was a pretty exciting fight for round one. Aldo did a great job stopping takedowns in the first round, and he stopped the first attempt again in round two. This is something we simply just had not seen happen to Marab Dvalishvili in the past. The guy is an elite wrestler, he always gets his takedowns, and Jose Aldo was able to stop all of them. Marab threw probably 30 knees against the cage in the clinch. They're very low damage, but they were also scoring a lot of points for Marab, and that is a way that you can win fights. I know it doesn't Please the fans that much, but you can win on the scorecards, and Marab was doing so. Aldo did a phenomenal job stuffing the takedowns again in round two, but Marab made sure to score with knees every time that Aldo would stuff the takedown and they would be in the clinch along the cage. I did give it 19-19 entering the third, which is what I was hoping to see. I just wanted a good fight between these two fighters. Aldo's movement did come out a little slower to start round three, and it was probably fatiguing. But Marab just never stops going forward. The guy always beats his opponents with his pressure. He beats him with his cardio. He beats him with his gas tank, his wrestling. Strangely, for the whole fight, like I said, Aldo just didn't throw a ton of offense. And I don't know why he was so scared to throw strikes. He was stopping all the takedowns, especially by round three. I expected Aldo to come out with a lot of aggression, and he just didn't do it. He should have used his kicks much more in this fight because he is an extremely talented kicker, but there is no denying that Aldo's takedown defense is absolutely elite. The fact that Marab never landed a takedown, who's 0 for 16, is incredible for Aldo because that is Marab's main strategy. Marab never looked tired, his motor is just incredible, he deserved to win this fight by decision, which he did. It wasn't fight of the night like I hoped, but it was a good fight nonetheless. It sucked to see Aldo lose like that, being so close to a title shot, and honestly is just a fan favorite among many UFC fans. The crowd booed Marab Devalishvili pretty heavily throughout this fight, because Marab's fighting style is not really flashy to the fans. He grinds it down, he wins by decision, he wrestles you, he clinches you against the cage. But hey, I mean, honestly, I don't think fans should really be that upset. Marab keeps on winning. Until someone can stop him, we're going to give him his flowers on this podcast because Marab is working his way towards a title shot, whether you like it or not. That takes us to our co-main event. It was Paulo Costa versus Luke Rockhold. Wow. I mean, this isn't even the fight I alluded to at the start of talking about the UFC pay-per-view, but wow, wow, wow. These boys went to battle quickly. Rockhold had the first good shot, but Costa landed a bunch of heavy punches. Costa actually got a takedown, and that is not a guy you want on top of you in top position. Paulo Costa looked huge compared to Luke Rockhold in this fight. 
Costa had to weigh, I think, at least 10 pounds more on fight day. While in top position, Costa landed big elbows, big punches to Rockhold's body, which was a great strategy trying to wear down Rockhold in his return to the octagon. Paulo Costa just, he just did a great job making this fight hurt right from the jump for Luke Rockhold. Looked like Luke Rockhold's nose probably broke in round one because he was breathing very quickly out of an open mouth to try to get some air in. He was bleeding from the nose. That nose either broke or Salt Lake City struck again. And Salt Lake City definitely struck by the end of round one when we had an incredibly bad visual of Luke Rockhold bent over with his hands on his knees to end that first round. I was concerned watching that as a fan that Rockhold was going to potentially get seriously injured because of how tired he was. They were both a little tired in round two, but both men still had a ton of power. Luke Rockhold gassed with three and a half minutes left in the second round. It was starting to get a little sad, to be honest, watching it in real time, but Luke Rockhold was still in it. A groin kick put a pause in the action in that second round, which was actually great for the fight because both men got to breathe for a little bit. Round two went to Paulo Costa as well. Luke Rockhold again. Hands on his knees to end round two. I actually thought that his coaches could have considered throwing in the towel or keeping him on a short leash a little bit, letting him know, hey, if things turn south quick in round three, we might call an end to this fight. He was just exhausted. The guy was just so tired. But Luke Rockhold, as we knew and as we learned, is just a game fighter. Paulo Costa fell over after a kick in round three, and Luke Rockhold found the energy to jump on top. Unfortunately, again, being fatigued, his technique had started to fail him a little bit as well. Paulo Costa, being a huge guy, was able to just muscle him off, and they were both gassed again. It was a really explosive action to start round three for guys that were already tired, and they both kind of blew their loads to start round three. One thing that was pretty exciting, Luke Rockhold stumbled Costa with a big left hand in round three, but ultimately, with two minutes left, Paulo Costa got top control. They started talking smack to each other. Paulo Costa won the fight, and somehow this fight went the distance. That is where I was most amazed while watching this fight. That's where Luke Rockhold, who already had my respect, made a big leap forward for his legacy as well, which was also already still good. We were talking about a former champion here, let's not mistake it. But he decided to make a return to the octagon against an incredibly dangerous guy, and the dude is just an absolute monster. By the end of the fight, I had a complete 180 opinion of Rockhold's performance. As you guys just heard me saying, it was getting sad, should they throw in the towel? By the end, seeing the guy make it the full three rounds, it was just insane. Incredibly impressive. He dug so deep to finish that fight. Luke Rockhold's a game fighter. He left it all out there in this fight, and he should be very proud of his performance. On the flip side, after saying all that, it was still shockingly disappointing that Paulo Costa didn't finish this fight. He had opportunities. He was tired as well, but he had Luke Rockhold almost broken many times in this fight. Now, clearly, it's very hard to break Luke Rockhold. I'll give Paulo Costa that. But when you're supposed to be this super scary, huge middleweight, you know, similar to the the soldier of God that is now fighting for a different organization, you have to be able to finish fights like this, and he just couldn't do it. I think Paulo Costa still isn't the same since that Israel Adesanya fight. Luke Rockhold lost on the judges' scorecards, but man, did he win on the people's scorecards. He retired after this fight, walked away giving the fans one last exciting memory, and the Homestyle MMA Podcast tips our hat to you, Luke Rockhold. You are an absolute beast. That takes us to the UFC main event, which was a can't-miss fight, I think, in the history of the sport. 
Kamaru Usman versus Leon Edwards. Are you kidding me? Holy cow, this fight was unbelievable. Really, the fight result was unbelievable. Let's go through round by round. Kamaru Usman stopped the takedown early in round one, but found himself on top after Leon Edwards slipped off of his own takedown attempt. But Leon Edwards worked himself right to the cage to his feet. It was clearly a better improved wrestling Leon Edwards. He showed that right away from round one. He's clearly improved his wrestling since their first meeting back in 2015. Leon Edwards got his own takedown in round one straight into mount. Very quick, rapid surprises to the fans. It was the first time that Kamaru Usman had been taken down in the UFC ever. So now for the first time, we got to see Usman on bottom. And it did not look great. Leon Edwards discovered a path to victory in that moment, in my opinion. Leon Edwards, while in that full mount, working incredibly hard, Usman struggling beneath him, got his way to the back and started working for a rear naked choke. This is one of the first times in the UFC that we've seen Kamaru Usman in serious trouble. And shockingly, round one went to Leon Edwards due to his wrestling, which is not what I would have expected to see at all. Not what I would have expected to say, and we had ourselves a battle. Round one had everybody on their feet and excited. Everyone was thinking, what's going to happen? Oh my gosh, this is the first we've seen a lot of this happen to Kamaru Usman before. Leon also looked like he possibly had the speed advantage and the striking, but I think Usman had the strength advantage. You could tell Usman was pissed that he lost that first round, that he lost a round, and he brought some serious pressure in round two with his striking. Leon Edwards had another eye poke in round two, which is getting a little bit of an unfortunate trend for him of poking people in the eyes during his fights. It'd be great if he could watch those fingers just a little bit more, but he looked great in this fight. I mean, he deserved this title shot. Leon went for another takedown, but he was from a little bit too far away. Usman could really see it coming. He sprawled and actually jumped on the neck of Leon Edwards. Leon, again, he wrestled very well, though. Got back to his feet. Usman struggled early with getting and keeping Leon Edwards down. But, as we all know, Kamaru Usman's gas tank is serious. His pressure and striking were very strong in round two, and he sent us into round three all tied up. Kamaru Usman reached out and grabbed a leg early in round three, kind of as a faint, as a fake. He just reached down, reached out for the leg. But in what was a weird, you know, two seconds, Leon left it there. So Usman reached out for the leg kind of as a faint, expecting Leon to move, and he did it. So then he just kind of grabbed it and got himself an easy takedown. Like has been the case, Leon did get back to his feet very quickly, but by round three, Kamaru Usman was successfully striking close distance, putting Leon against the cage, and then getting the takedown. He was very systematic, very precise, very strategic on how he was getting his takedowns, and it was a beautiful mix of mixed martial arts. Usman took the lead in round three officially, and Leon was really starting to get tired. Leon Edwards got into the clinch with Usman. Leon got him against the cage. He was trying to work his way onto the back. They eventually disengaged, and then Usman got another takedown. Again, kind of worked the striking, worked him into the cage, worked him to the ground. At this point, I would say Leon Edwards was pretty clearly getting tired, and he had almost no resistance to that takedown. So after that fourth round, I had Usman up 39-37 heading into the fifth. This is where the unthinkable happened. Myself, the announcers, we all started to question whether Leon Edwards had the will to win in this fight or if he was just hoping for a moral victory by getting this to the scorecards. Usman struck his way into another takedown and clinched against the cage. 
His gas tank was outstanding. He was one of the only fighters on the night to me to really not get impacted by the altitude, which he does train out of Colorado, so that makes some sense. And he went five rounds while everyone else was going three, and he was maintaining his gas tank. Out of nowhere, Leon Edwards threw a lightning-fast head kick that put Kamaru Usman to sleep. Boom. Fight over. From the clouds. Now, to support Leon Edwards, he did set up the strike very well. It's just that no one saw the strike attempt coming. I think that's what shocked the world so much. When you watch the replay, Leon Edwards set up that lightning-fast left head kick. But watching it in real time, it... It seemed like Leon had given up, that he was just done. So no one even saw this attempt coming from him. He got Kamaru Usman moving to his right, and then Leon threw the left head kick, and it connected as cleanly as possible. It was one of the most incredible strikes that I've ever seen. Leon was done in this fight. He was less than a minute away from losing by four rounds on the scorecards. The kick was so loud and the crowd in Salt Lake City, Utah went absolutely nuts. Leon Edwards had one chance at that point in the fight to win, and he got it. I mean, unbelievable. Unbelievable fight when you consider the ramifications, the story behind it all. He truly lived up to the Rocky nickname by fighting until the end. This was also a situation where it was truly the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Leon Edwards snatching victory from the certainty of defeat and Kamaru Usman making one huge mistake, but it cost him a part of his legacy. Leon Edwards is a great welterweight champion, very nice guy, very respectable guy. He came from nothing in Jamaica, and he's now a world champion. It's a great story, and congratulations to Leon Edwards, the new welterweight champion of the world. Wow, what a finish. 55 seconds left. Let's go ahead and take a look at our bets. That result severely impacted our weekend, but let's talk about it and dive into the bets. As always, please bet responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call your state's hotline. We'll go ahead and start off with our PFL. We finished up 1.14 units, going 2 for 4 with our PFL straight bets. Roji Kudo versus Bubba Jenkins. We went with Bubba Jenkins by decision. We unfortunately started with a loss that was minus 152. Bubba Jenkins got the win, but he did it well early into this fight. Larissa Pacheco versus Elena Kolesnik. This was one that I was incredibly confident in. We took Larissa Pacheco by knockout. This was a homicidal gravy bet. This was a going back for more bet. We doubled up our units on a plus 120 bet and got the win. Chris Wade versus Brendan Lofnane. We ended up having to go with Chris Wade minus 250. I told you guys I didn't really want to pick a winner in this fight. I wanted the over on the rounds, but over one and a half rounds was minus 480. That's just a really big number, so I didn't want to take it. Turns out I should have because we lost Chris Wade minus 250. Kayla Harrison versus Martina Jindrova ended our PFL playoff bets. Kayla Harrison was currently like around minus 5,000. We wanted to get her by finish as a homestyle gravy bet going back for more bet. We ended up having to go even further because that was still minus 1,115. And with Kayla Harrison finishing within one and a half rounds not being offered on its own, 
we went ahead and just said, look, I know all this is going to happen. Kayla's going to win by finish. She's going to win by under one and a half rounds. We knew Kayla Harrison would win. We knew that the finish would come within one and a half rounds. But we were able to just grab the fight to go under one and a half rounds at minus 275. We made that a going back for more bet, doubled it up, and got another going back for more bet win. Taking a look at the UFC, we started with Daniel Da Silva versus Victor Altamirano. We lost Daniel Da Silva plus 160. Aroki Lang versus Jay Perrin, we won. Aroki Lang minus 160. Amir Albazi versus Francisco Figueiredo. Albazi was around minus 500, so we went with Amir Albazi by finish at plus 150 for a nice underdog win. With the UFC prelims, we had AJ Fletcher versus Ange Lusa. We went with AJ Fletcher at minus 160 for a loss. We lost the Miranda Maverick versus Shana Young fight, unfortunately, so that fight was out even though it was a homestyle gravy bet and a going back for more bets. So that was a big-time bummer. Sean Woodson versus Luis Saldana. We would have gone the Sean Woodson straight up, but luckily, instead, we went with fight to go over one and a half rounds as a homestyle gravy bet and going back for more bet. This was a shocking win after how the first round was going with two potential stoppages. Luckily, we were able to cash that double unit bet. Leonardo Santos versus Jared Gordon went with Jared Gordon. Moneyline minus 286 for another win. And followed it up with a loss with Marcin Tybura versus Alexander Romanov. We took Romanov by finish at minus 130. On the UFC main card, we had Tyson Pedro versus Harry Hunsucker. Tyson Pedro was a huge favorite. So we took any fighter to win by knockout. We cashed that at minus 240. Wu Yunan versus Lucy Pudilova. We took Wu Yunan as an underdog at plus 106. That unfortunately did not work out well for us. Jose Aldo versus Marab Davalashvili. Like I said, I wanted a three-round battle between these guys, so we went fight to go the distance at minus 195 for a win. That was a homestyle gravy bet for us. Paulo Costa versus Luke Rockhold. This is one I was okay losing because the fight was very impressive for Luke Rockhold. We took Paulo Costa by knockout at minus 160. It was a surprising result, I think. Surprising loss, but very impressive for Luke Rockhold. And in the main event, we had Kamaru Usman versus Leon Edwards. This one really sucked for us because we had Kamaru Usman to win with over three and a half rounds at minus 152. Homestyle gravy bet, going back for more bet. We were 55 seconds away from winning that bet, which would have been a nice swing with that two units in that last 55 seconds. I thought we'd already cashed that bet. As we all know, the sport of MMA is crazy. This was one of my most heartbreaking bets that I've ever lost because we were so close from cashing it, and it was a big swing from the positive to the negative for our UFC this weekend. All in on the UFC, we were down 2.9 units, and we went 6 for 6. The Kamaru Usman bet swung us from a nice positive UFC Saturday to an unfortunate negative. Our going back for more bets, though, were good. We went 3 for 4. That only missed being the championship fight with Kamaru Usman. Total, we were down 1.7 units on the weekend and set up up big again because of that last fight of the weekend. Let's go ahead and take a look at the Homestyle Perfect Plate Parlays. Let's start with the PFL. This is one I told you I definitely knew would happen. I said it does not matter what the odds come out to be. I said Larissa Pacheco to win by knockout and Kayla Harrison to win by finish. We cashed that at plus 140. And then we had to make the audible on the Homestyle Perfect Plate Parlay. I released it on our social media accounts. We originally had Miranda Maverick in that parlay. With her fight getting canceled, we had to make a new one. We replaced it with Jared Gordon, Alexander Romanov, and Kamaru Usman, all to win at plus 160. 
This was a loss with Alexander Romanov, surprising loss to Tybura, and obviously the shocking result to Usman versus Edwards. That wraps up our review of the bets. Let's go ahead and take a look at how we did on Verdict and give out some podcast notes. The Kamaru Usman loss to Leon Edwards cost us pretty big on our bets, but also pretty big on Verdict, unfortunately. We had a bronze medal heading into that fight with 400 experience points on Kamaru Usman. If he won, I think we likely would have had a silver medal for the UFC, but unfortunately with his loss, it dropped us out of medal contention. Luckily on the PFL side, we picked five of the six winners correctly, with Larissa Pacheco perfectly predicted with her first round knockout, and Kayla Harrison perfectly predicted with her first round submission win. Put all that together, we finished in the top 40% of prediction for the PFL and earned ourselves a silver medal. Taking a look at the Homestyle MMA Podcast Awards, we have plenty to give out today. The Mashed Potatoes PFL Performance of the Night, we are going to give that to Larissa Pacheco. I think it has to go to either her or Kayla Harrison. Unfortunately, Kayla is so dominant and such a massive favorite that her result was more expected, so we're going to go with Larissa Pacheco. The Smooth Buttery Biscuits UFC Early Prelims Performance of the Night is going to Victor Altamirano. Huge shout out to Amir Albazi. He definitely could have won this too, but Altamirano was literally knocked down very early in the first round, battled all the way back to get the finishing win later in that same round, and it was a very impressive comeback, so we're going to reward that. The Mac and Cheese UFC Prelims Performance of the Night, we're going with Ange Lusa. Tough award to give out with no finishes on the prelims and a bunch of strange events occurring throughout the prelim fights. Angelusa never gave up on his fight, left it all out there to get the win in a hard-fought three-round war. The Chicken and Dumplings UFC main card performance of the night has to go to Leon Edwards. This is the most obvious pick of all time. He shocked the world with 55 seconds left. What a crazy Saturday. He was losing, and a lot of people's eyes, including mine, he'd lost. The fight was over. We were running out the clock. And he snatched victory from the clutches of defeat. Absolutely incredible. Let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast. What a crazy Saturday between the PFL and the UFC. The PFL went mostly as expected, I would say. Then one of the craziest comebacks in the history of the UFC end of the night with that fifth round knockout for Leon Edwards to win the world title. They should definitely run that title back and have Usman versus Edwards 3. I think that it would be a massive pay-per-view if they put that in England, which I know is in some conversations right now for Leon Edwards' first defense. They could fill out that card with plenty of European and English, specifically fighters of UFC talent. This is a crazy sport. Anything can happen. Never give up in a fight, and this wraps up the podcast for the week. The UFC and PFL playoffs are off until September 3rd, so enjoy your free weekend coming up. So before we finish wrapping up the podcast, I just wanted to take a few moments, kind of let you guys know what's going on with the microphone changes, and let you know that I'm not the most pleased with the product I'm putting out today. Uh, Very sorry to say that. I really want to give you the best that I possibly can. I got a new microphone, wanted to try it out. It has a lot of benefits to it, but I don't love the sound just yet. In order to change the sound, I'm going to have to learn how to mess around with some of these equalizers and things of that nature. 
I know it's not perfect yet. I appreciate all of you who listen. Please hang in there with me. I'm going to spend a lot of time diving into some of the more intricate details of podcast recording. I went from a gaming headset to an actual podcast microphone. Obviously, the podcast microphone is sensitive in different ways, but the gaming headset used to pick up every single breath that I took, and I would spend hours and hours and hours editing out breaths so that you guys weren't super frustrated just hearing me breathe for the whole podcast. With the standalone microphone, I'm able to sit back a little bit during breathing. Not quite as annoying for you guys, but there is a definite sound difference. Either I need to figure out how to smooth that out for us, or find ways to improve this process. Whatever it might be, just know that I'm committed to my audience. I appreciate you guys that have come on board this early on into this little journey that we're taking in the podcasting world. All I'm really asking is, you know, just give me a little bit of time. I promise you I'll work hard for the next week, so next week's episode will be hopefully a little bit better. Um, I would like to use this microphone long term if I can get it to work because of the editing benefits, like I said. It literally saved me hours this time around, but in order to get you the podcast by Thursday, I ultimately just ran out of time. So just short apology to my listeners. Like I said, I expect more from myself. You should expect more from me. And I promise you that I will do my absolute best to give you the best listening experience that I can. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Let's go ahead and dive into my wrap up. I'm adding this in post recording, post editing, because I felt it necessary. wanted to speak from my heart and let you know that I'm doing everything that I can to give you the best quality as possible while also staying realistic. So thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. I promise you that next episode will at least be a little bit better. And it might be week over week I get better and better, but I assure you that I will give you the best quality that I am capable of achieving while not being someone who has any kind of sound engineering degree. (laughs) So thank you all. I really appreciate each and every one of you. And I look forward to continuing this podcast journey with you. As always, please bet responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call your state's hotline. Please go follow at the Homestyle MMA podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And at Homestyle MMA pod on Twitter. Check out the Homestyle MMA podcast.podbean.com for additional information about the podcast. We're going to keep working on social media, keep growing. We're starting to get some great interaction. We had a comment on the UFC Facebook page recently that had over 180 impressions and about 60 replies. So we're getting some good activity on social media. Please feel free to get involved. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe, like, comment, review. Next week, we will do a thorough preview of UFC Fight Night Gone versus Tui Vasa for what should be a shorter episode since we won't have any fights to recap. Till next time, this was Sean Van Buren on the Homestyle MMA Podcast. Have a good one.